Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. So first thing that I've learned and I've experienced is you have to be pragmatic versus dogmatic. Um, in Etsy land, uh, we were an A-B testing shop through and through. Nothing went out without being A-B tested. We were so incredibly dogmatic that if you couldn't A-B test it, it wasn't really a thing. Um, and, and while that's probably intellectually the right thing, right? you can really quantify the impact the upside it's having on the business, in reality, it slows you down um, and it's, it, it's really potentially limiting because launching a new feature and A-B testing a brand new feature is, is often really difficult. A-B testing is rarely cheap um, and it's usually not the answer. Um, I'm not saying I don't love A-B tests, I do. They're awesome, especially when they work. Um, but really the effort and the cost associated with running one is usually pretty high. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. Thank you for listening to me talk for hopefully not all too long. Um, so what we're gonna talk about today is um, some tools that can help you increase certainty. Um, how, do you, how do you validate ideas? How do you, um, yeah, increase certainty that your products will hopefully be successful? Um, so hi, I'm Tim. Um, what we're gonna talk about, well, intros. Well, intros, I'll introduce myself. Um, some existential questions, some tools, and then some examples. Uh, okay, so uh, a little bit of background about me, just so you have some context who's sitting up here and, and talking at you. Um, I started life as an industrial designer, um, building physical things. Um, it's a really slow, expensive, painful process to go through. Um, I worked at a clean tech company, and believe it or not, this is before the iPhone existed. Um, we were building a, an in-home device to display real-time energy information so that you could reduce your household consumption. Um, super fun, but we basically did everything wrong that you could imagine, think uh, retooling in China, batteries blowing up. It was, it was a thing and led me to think, I don't know if hardware is the future for me. Um, so I went to Stanford um, and did a master's in management science and engineering, which is basically product school, not this product school, um, but you're kind of in between business kids and engineers. The business kids are like, can you really build a site for me? And the engineers are like, can you really build a business plan? Basically you're a PM. Um, so it was great training. Um, I joined Etsy in 2011 um, and was there until about six months ago. Um, pretty crazy ride from about 100 people to 1,000 people from um, 500 million or so in revenue to 3 billion. Um, super fun, so much learning, worked on nearly all the products, which was amazing. Um, and now I lead the product team at SoulCycle um, for the last six months or so. Um, a little bit about us, we're 12 years old. Um, we have 88 studios. We have millions of riders um, who ride, sorry, hundreds of thousands of riders who ride millions of times every year. Um, and, and one of the things that's not maybe the most apparent about Seoul is we are a technology company. Um, we have a whole bunch of software that powers our studios. Um, we have uh, a site, an app, and more things in the future. 
Um, so it's, it's a pretty uh, interesting time to be at an online, offline uh, business. So let's jump in. Um, first question is, where are you going? Um, this is in the existential questions part of the talk. Um, so maybe your first answer is like, I have no idea. Um, but ultimately, this is important because um, you need to think about um, product strategy. Let's see if I can make this bigger. Yes. Um, think about your product vision, your product strategy, your product principles. Ultimately, um, how do all the things that you're building, the features, the products, ladder up into a cohesive story journey for your customer? Um, ultimately, that is kind of your north star, right? If you have a product vision and a strategy to, to execute on that vision, um, that'll help you understand where you're going. Um, but then you need to define what great looks like. Um, so defining a goal that helps you track your progress to that north star, to your vision. Um, ideally, it's measurable. Ideally, it's time-bound. All the things I'm sure you've heard about good goals. Um, so imagine a goal that you have is to increase revenue over some period of time, right? Um, probably pretty familiar. Um, so if, if I was looking at this graph, and this is time on the x-axis and, and money on the, on the y, looks pretty good, right? Up and to the right. Seems like things are going well. But if you layer in a goal, this is maybe not actually achieving what you set out to do. It didn't achieve your goal. Um, so in this imaginary situation, your goal for your quarter is a million bucks in revenue, say. Um, how do we know if we're, if we're actually being successful? We need to track this. Um, we'll come back to this idea of a um, million dollars in revenue in a second. A um, little bit cliche, but goal without a plan is just a wish. Um, maybe sl said slightly differently. Um, given the time constraints, the resource constraints, um, the uh, ideas that you have, can you actually achieve your goals? So many of you guys are potentially familiar with the, the idea of effort versus impact. Um, in this example, project A is three full-time engineering months. I say engineering because more often than not, engineering is on the critical path. Um, so, so we've got some understanding of how much uh, effort we need to put into it. And, of course, it's going to have a million dollars in impact, right? Um, we've scoped it out. We've looked at some data. We've, um, we think we have a good idea here that will help us achieve that $1 million goal. Um, and you're, of course, 100% sure that it's going to achieve that number. Um, you know, definitely a sure thing. I don't know about you guys, but I'm usually wrong and certainly never certain that anything is going to succeed. So, frankly, this is not a good way of thinking about the world. Um, so, let's throw away that one and think about another example um, that really uses this effort, impact, and then certainty framework um, to understand how impactful your projects might be and help you ladder up. Um, so, in this example, Project B, also three full-time engineers or en engineering months, a um, million dollars in impact, but in this instance, we're maybe only 20% sure that we can actually succeed at this. Think about this is something like, um, it's something your team or your company has never done before. You're introducing brand new technology. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch of risk associated with this that would lead you to believe, I don't know if I can get a million dollars out of it. So think about this as kind of like certainty weighted. Um, so one million times 20% gets you 200K. Uh, another project, again, same investment. 
um, but slightly higher certainty. So this might be like an evolution of something you're already doing. You kind of understand the space, um, and, um, and there's definitely risk, but there's less risk. So in this case, 60 times a million is 600,000. Um, and then another one, just to round it out, um, similar effort, slightly smaller impact, but maybe you're really certain or much more certain that you can actually achieve that goal. Um, so this might be, you know, you had a whole bunch of success last quarter and you're just going to keep milking that idea and you believe there's more kind of like, you know, juice in the lemon, so to say. Um, what we're also talking about is like a portfolio approach of products here, somewhat of a separate topic, but don't always put all your eggs in the big bet basket. Don't always put all your eggs in the optimization basket. Having a portfolio approach helps you kind of increase your certainty overall, but potentially we'll talk about that another day. Um, so, how do you actually increase the certainty of the, in the projects that you're going to invest in? So we had three examples before. Um, we've got some, you know, kind of guesswork certainty there. How do I increase that? Um, so first thing that I've learned and I've experienced is you have to be pragmatic versus dogmatic. Um, in Etsy land, uh, we were an A-B testing shop through and through. Nothing went out without being A-B tested. We were so incredibly dogmatic that if you couldn't A-B test it, it wasn't really a thing. Um, and, and while that's probably intellectually the right thing, right? you can really quantify the impact, the upside it's having on the business, in reality, it slows you down um, and it's, it, it's really potentially limiting because launching a new feature and A-B testing a brand new feature is, is often really difficult. Um, so A-B testing is rarely cheap um, and it's usually not the answer. Um, I'm not saying I don't love A-B tests, I do. They're awesome, especially when they work. Um, but really the effort and the cost associated with running one is usually pretty high. Um, so I don't know if anyone here has run A-B tests. This is how it looks in my experience. Um, you know, you design the test, you build the test, you launch it, usually you mess it up. You have bucketing problems, you didn't put the right copy there, the color's wrong, something went wrong. Um, so you, you know, fix that, you run it again, you analyze it, and then it all starts over, right? So A-B testing is not the silver bullet that just delivers answers to you. Um, it's often really hard work. So if not that, then what? Um, and so really what, what we'll talk about from here on out is, is a suite of tools that I believe can help you increase your certainty um, in different situations on different types of projects. Um, so we'll go through kind of the common tools, probably not news to you guys, um, and then talk about some examples of how I've used them or the teams I've worked with have used them um, on specific projects. So um, first tool, one-on-one -on -one interviews, just good old-fashioned talking to humans. Um, be surprised how few people actually do this. Um, pretty critical. Um, it's pretty great, right? You only need a small sample size. Um, it's cheap. You don't really need to build too much. You could sketch something on a piece of paper, show it to some folks, get some really early feedback. Um, but the flip side here is you don't get necessarily direction um, sorry, you won't get specific feedback on a product. You might get some directions to go in, right? Like put some ideas in front of a customer and they're like, that sucks. I definitely would never use that. But maybe there's some interesting things going this way. Um, and the bonus of talking to people is that you'll usually, well, I've never been in a situation where you haven't learned more than you expected to, right? They'll tell you something and you'll be like, okay, let me scribble that down and put that in the backlog for, for the future. Um, so talking to people. Um, next up, user tests, usability testing, um, you know, really getting either 
specific feedback on, on a concept or um, you know, working with an Envision prototype to get some very specific feedback on, does this flow feel right? You know, can users actually navigate a product? Um, again, usually a small sample size is necessary, kind of one to 20 folks. Um, the more, of course, the more data points you have. Um, and you usually benefit from having something a little bit more refined. So you do have to do a little bit of upfront work, usually with your product designers, um, maybe your marketing team, depending on what you're trying to test. Um, but the benefit is if you're, if you're testing something reasonably high fidelity, usually it's very concrete feedback and really actionable stuff that you can then take and execute and ideally launch into production. Um, pilots and betas, um, usually a little bit bigger of a sample size. Um, and here, you know, working with a group of customers who are willing to give you feedback um, in a really focused, uh, focused way, um, you need kind of, a, well, more often than not, you'll need something in production, right? So we've involved product design, we've involved in engineering. Um, there's a lot more upfront work here. Um, but depending on how high fidelity or, or how resolved your beta is, if it goes well and there's minimal tweaks, often you can just roll it out to the rest of your customer base. Um, usually, this is, this is great if you have a vocal community that cares about your product. Etsy and SoulCycle are two of those, extremely vocal. Um, or maybe you don't have that many users, and A-B testing is just not an option. Maybe the entirety of your uh, user base is like 1,000 folks, and you want to roll something out. Um, and the other world where this is often really useful is in B2B products, where you don't want to necessarily A-B test with people's workflows, their day-to-day. -day. Um, so kind of siphoning off a group and, and, a, and piloting or beta testing um, can be really valuable. So surveys, um, sometimes these get left out, right? That's something that marketing does. Don't talk to me, just survey our customers. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the right approach. Um, you can get a lot of really rich information out of surveys without actually investing too much. Um, you know, you can get some size, you can get some scale, you can really start to understand some trends in a larger audience. Um, you rarely get feedback on a specific product, but you might start to understand what concepts resonate. And if the sample size is big enough, you might be able to say, okay, actually I think 20% of our audience would, would really you know, benefit from this feature versus 80% benefit from another one. Um, and, and like I said, um, you, know, you can start to understand some differences in, in, um, in the customer's mindset at some scale. And then finally, A-B tests. Um, to run them quickly, at least in my experience, you need a solid amount of customers. Um, you know, 10,000 plus, if you're splitting that in half, 5,000, you've got a conversion rate of 10%. You know, you're gonna need some material change in those metrics to make it make sense and to run it quickly. Um, and so, you know, you need, you need customers, um, you need production features, which as I mentioned before, can be sometimes painful. Um, but the, the beauty here is, of course, you truly understand the incremental upside, right? If you had, you know, the control and the variant and the variant increases conversion rate by 2%, it's almost certainly, never 100%, but almost certainly due to the tests that you've, um, you've put out into the wild. So, those are kind of some of the tools, and now I'll walk through how I've applied them, we've applied them. Usually it's not directly my work, um, so thank you to the team that I work with. Um, a couple, one from Seoul and then a few from, from Etsy. Um, so first one is from SoulCycle, and the context here is um, we want to understand what gets new riders hooked in our funnel. So at Seoul, we have, we have a pretty 
good institutional understanding of our really hardcore engaged riders, right? They ride six times a week. Um, they're with us all the time. They give us feedback in the studio. You know, they'll, they'll reach out. Um, but what we were lacking is a, a really deep, robust understanding of new riders so that we could really build something that resonates with them versus always catering to the, you know, the squeaky wheel, the customer who's with us six times a week. Um, and our goal in this case was really to get customers through the acquisition and, and activation funnel, right? So being in an online, offline world, um, you can't just throw a million users in the top of the funnel and assume it'll work. Right, we have finite bikes in 88 studios, so we have to be pretty thoughtful about how we're optimizing the funnel. Um, and what we see is there's roughly an inflection point after five rides. So there, it seems to take some time to kind of get it. Um, and so a lot of our work as a product team is focused on getting you through um, five rides, not just getting you, you know, to create an account, as an example. Within a week, within a month? It's a good question. A little bit unclear. Um, we're using a 90-day window, so three months, um, just because it takes people some time, right? They have lives, believe it or not, outside of SoulCycle, which, you know, surprises me, but hey. Um, so uh, the tools we used here um, was really one-on-one -on -one interviews um, to go deep with, to really understand mindsets, like why do people work out? What are they looking for? What motivates them? Um, with the goal of narrowing down the problem space so that we can start to execute on some things. This is in flight where we were kind of in the midst of this. So next up will be, you know, usability testing, A-B testing. Um, but I'll talk about the front part of it. Um, so like I said, we, we grabbed a sample of about 20 folks. Um, so relatively small. And, and like I said, tried to get into their mindset. Why are you working out? Where do you work out? Who do you work out with? How often do you work out? To understand the larger context. Um, and what we did was we asked them to try other classes that they hadn't before. So we said, hey, go to Barry's, go to Flywheel, or if you haven't tried SoulCycle, try SoulCycle, um, to really understand what it means to be new. And what we found pretty quickly was there's some kind of archetypes of people who like to do fit boutique fitness. Um, we showed them some high-level provocations. Provocation is like a really broad concept. Um, so very little work to do from a design perspective. Uh, I'll show you in a sec. Um, but really to, to get a reaction out of people. And what we found pretty quickly, um, having talking, spoken to those 20 folks, is people gravitated around a few themes. So sample size is small, but when 20 people out of 20 say something is interesting, you can begin to build some intuition that actually there might be something there. Therefore, your certainty around this idea starts to increase a little bit. Um, now... We don't have like the answers. It, the, the product we need to build wasn't delivered to us on this nice research-driven silver platter. We've got a bunch of work to do, but like I said, narrowed down the problem space um, a fair amount. Um, and so this is just an example ripped out of the, the, um, the presentation from the research. You can see the concepts here. Um, there, there's, you know, they look reasonably high fidelity, but this is quick. Use sketch, you know, put together some, some basic things using some... Uh, some templates. What's interesting here, we, we did this research blind. We didn't tell people we were SoulCycle with the goal of not introducing bias into that testing. We have a relatively, well, we're lucky to have a pretty strong brand and we didn't want that to cloud people's thinking. Um, so that was one way to try to, to take some of that bias out. If you have enjoyed the episode so far, check out our upcoming live events at productschool.com slash events. Use the promo code PRODUCTPODCAST in all caps to get a free ticket to the next event in your city. Um, 
slightly different example using a slightly different set of tools. Uh, the context here, this time from Etsy, is building new tools for sellers um, to offer digital items. So in the context of Etsy, um, I mean, hopefully, most of you guys are familiar with Etsy. Um, people will sell handmade items, vintage items. Uh, what we also found is by talking to customers, in this instance sellers, that people also sell patterns. They sell images, they sell digital items. And we basically gave them zero tools to do that. They would get an order, um, they would have to email it to the customer. Like It was a complete disaster um, from a data perspective, from a fulfillment perspective. Um, and, and so our goal was really to remove friction for these sellers, um, to increase the number of people who are attracted to Etsy as a way to sell digital items, and ultimately to increase GMS, gross merchandise sales, which is how Etsy as a business thinks about um, measuring success, right? It represents the amount of sales that the sellers are making. Um, in this context, we really went from one-on-one -on -one interviews with sellers, we launched um, a pilot, um, and then we got into some A-B testing, and I'll, I'll walk through how we kind of built that up. Um, so like I said, this was happening already. People were already selling digital, so we were able to look at some historical data, um, just some really basic stuff, like if it has the word JPEG in the description, it's probably gonna be a JPEG, um, just to get some understanding of the overall um, opportunity, then thinking about what other competitors out there in the market, what does the overall um, you know, market size look like, um, and then we talked to sellers, right? We got them into the Etsy office. We asked them how they're doing, what they need. They talked about all the hacky ways they were um, creating a solution, which was great for us because it said, okay, well, one, we can look at their feature set, and two, they were saying, oh man, I wish this product had X. Okay, well, that's an opportunity for us. Um, so from there, we built a pretty basic set of tools, ability to upload a file, um, ability to um, call it out on a listing, right? That it says digital somewhere. Um, and then we got a group of, I believe it was around 20 or so customers, sellers in this case, into a pilot group. We, at Etsy, they're called prototypes. Um, invited them in and said, hey, look, this is pretty basic, but we'd love your feedback. Help us kind of co-create this. Um, and so f that gave us all kinds of things that we would never have really got out of going one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one, um, because we have, in this instance, is a forum where sellers can kind of build on each other's feedback. Um, so we learned about file size, document types. We learned about the controls that people might need to be able to revoke access, to give unlimited access, all those kind of things. Um, so that was step one. Small group, very focused, moderated by myself in a, in a forum um, to really understand what's happening. Once we fixed some of those issues, invited more sellers in, in the order of kind of ramping up over time, but hundreds and hundreds to the point where we had about 5,000 sellers in the prototype. Um, the benefit of that is, uh, and, and for context, at the time there was probably about 800,000 sellers on the overall platform. Um, and so the benefit of that is you get to stress test some of that infrastructure. Um, right? We built a whole bunch of stuff to allow uploads, virus checking, scanning, all that kind of stuff. Um, and what we also did was we built a larger inventory of digital items that we could then use to A-B test with buyers, right? Ultimately, sellers come to Etsy to make money. And so helping them on the buyer side, optimizing discoverability, optimizing the download process, um, by having more sellers in that prototype, we were able to, to concurrently run a pilot and A-B testing on the buyer side at the same time, which really kind of parallel pathed our learnings. Um, yeah. So 
This was, um, these are just some screenshots from the forums in the uh, prototype group and, and things to call out here. So you don't see at the top, but um, I posted and said, guys, you're in. And, and I think we opened it up at 9.45 on February 6th. And you can see the first post um, is at 11.36. So, you know, call it two hours later. So within the space of hours, we were getting super rich feedback from these people who are just so engaged. Um, and, and that's just incredible. So again, if you have a really vocal community, use them, listen to them. They will tell you what's up. Um, and the, the other, at the time, I didn't fully appreciate how valuable this was gonna be, um, but by doing this kind of pilot co-creation method or, or being in that mode, um, what we created was advocates. So when we launched this, to the entire seller population. Of course, there was questions like, what is this change? People don't like change, it turns out. Um, but we had a group of sellers who was in the forums basically answering questions for us. And so from that perspective, it's really powerful to have customer-customer interaction versus at Etsy, employees are called admin on the site versus admin to uh, seller interaction, which can often feel you know, potentially a little bit gross. Um, so again, amazing to have almost like a second arm of product marketing, product education out in the wild by the virtue of these people feeling a strong sense of ownership um, over the product. And then when we said, we're launching it, people were thankful. Like they actually said thank you, they took the time, and that's so gratifying as a product owner um, to have you know, your customers just acknowledge it and say, awesome, we really enjoyed this process, let's do it again. Um, the third example is um, a slightly different one. This one skews more towards the buyer side of the Etsy business. Um, and the, the idea here was really to validate um, the idea of a guest checkout process, but ideally without creating guests. Um, so what do I mean by that? Um, at the time, we now, we, Etsy, has guest checkout. Um, but at the time we didn't, you had to create an account in order to make a purchase. Um, so some, some kind of larger context, we had millions of buyers at that point. So the, the, the overall sample size, the population size was pretty large. So we could move pretty quickly through A-B tests. Um, in this case, our goal was to increase conversion rate. Conversion rate's a really key metric for Etsy. Of all the visitors who land, how many of them actually buy things? Um, and so what we were trying to do is optimize those critical paths that introduce friction into the, the, the purchase funnel. Um, so in this instance, we actually didn't really talk to users, and, and, and I'll talk about why in a second, um, because we were trying to move really fast, and we had so, much, so many people going through these funnels, um, and they're very sensitive, right? You make small tweaks, they can have outsized impact, um, that we felt we were able to just A-B test like crazy um, and get lots of significant data really quickly. Um, so stepping back, we kind of had some intuition that if you ask a user to sign up during a purchase funnel, it's gonna suck, right? There's gonna be friction. Um, but let's check that. So we looked at all the data, we sliced it by user type, by platform, by um, region, to really understand if, is there anything else going on here. Um, turns out it was largely registration. Doesn't matter who you are, what platform you're on, it just sucks. Um, and so the, the first step was like, sweet, we'll just build guest checkout. No problem, we'll just take out that step and we'll optimize the funnel. A guest checkout flow at that scale of Etsy at this point, you know, we're like a $2 billion company is insanely complex, right? Different user types, how do they claim an account? How do you actually respond to support requests? So there's, there's so much work involved with that. Um, so we said, well, not so fast. How could we validate some of these ideas more quickly? Um, and really what it boiled down to was 
spending a ton of time as a cross-functional group in front of a whiteboard. Um, so we had the flow printed out, and we were thinking, how, could we, how can we optimize this? And that's you know, your product designers, your analysts, your engineers, your product people, just riffing on things. And every time we thought we had an idea that might make sense, quick Envision prototype and run around the office um, to get some really early feedback on like, is this usable? Do you guys get it? Because we've just sat in our own heads for two hours in front of a whiteboard. Um, but does it make sense? Super small sample size, no way near significant, and probably not representative of our overall user base, but it gave us a really fast way to go around that loop a bunch of times, right? Idea, does it make sense? No, it doesn't. All right, throw it away uh, and keep going. Um, and, and so what we ended up launching was super counterintuitive, certainly for me and frankly for most people, um, in the sense that we actually just added a step to the flow. Uh, you know, everything that anyone ever tells you about product is fewer steps means higher conversion. Um, what we found was by more intelligently routing people into a registration flow or a sign-in flow, uh, we were really able to increase conversion rate in a material way. Um, so this is what, at the time, you can see it looks a little dated, um, but this is what it looked like back then, and the grand total was the addition of this screen. So all we did was say, give us your email, and if we recognized it, we would route you into sign-in, and if we didn't, we'd put you into uh, registration with your email pre-filled, with a user account, um, with a um, username pre-created for you, and that turned out to have an absolutely outsized impact on conversion rate for what turned out to be very little engineering work, right? It took us maybe days to build this, to make sure the test was, was set up correctly and then launch it. Um, out of that, Many years later, the, the payments team actually did create guest checkout, and all of our intuitions were right. It was like an 18-month project fraught with so much complexity um, that you know, helped the business for sure, but we got a bunch of the upside by doing just something really simple, um, an A-B testing. And so this was kind of like the first step, and what we did from there is take that insight and just milked it. So in that very early example of saying you, know, you might have a smaller opportunity size with higher confidence, we went around every registration touchpoint on the site and really just optimized all of those given this, uh, this knowledge. So there was a bunch of stuff um, to try to summarize a little bit, and I'd love to hear what questions you guys have, um, is uh, defining where we're going, right? Set strategic direction um, for your product or your set of products. Um, define what success looks like. So are we gonna be moving in the right direction? Figure out if you can actually achieve your goals given your time, resource, um, and knowledge constraints. And then use a range of tools to try to validate that, right? Don't get stuck in one specific area. Don't, get, go, don't go too deeply down the A-B testing path. Don't only think about um, you know, talking to your users. Really try to, um, try to use a range of tools to increase that certainty. That's it. That's all I got. Thank you guys for coming. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of questions. I'd love to talk about them. listening to the product podcast if you like this episode don't forget to leave us a review on itunes if you want to know more about our courses and next courts visit productschool.com stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management <laughs>